The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Asian markets mixed as manufacturing data in the region fails to impress. The manufacturing growth moderating in Japan and South Korea, while China's private sector factories are still ramping up production. Oil prices gain with Brent breaking $70 a barrel as demand optimism lifts ahead of today's OPEC Plus meeting where producers are expected to talk of gradually easing supply curves. G7 nations close in on a global minimum corporate tax rate, but Japan's finance minister warns not to expect discussions over specifics on the sidelines of the G7 meeting this weekend. The 750 billion euro EU recovery fund will finally launch this month with all 27 countries signing off on the plan, which will see nations pull their debts. Atlantia shareholders approve the sale of its Italian motorway holdings to state lender CDP in a 9 billion euro deal. Welcome to the program then. So let's kick off uh, the show this morning with another look at the Chinese data. Factory activity has risen to its highest level since December, according to the Chaixin Manufacturing PMI. This focuses on smaller private companies. The index inching up to 52 in May from April's 51.9. Analysts had expected the figure to remain unchanged. The reading goes somewhat against yesterday's official PMI number, which showed a slight slowdown in the pace of growth as prices of raw materials continue to spike. In Japan, manufacturing output growth has slowed, with the Jibun Bank PMI falling to 53 in May from April's 53.6. The figure, though, was higher than the initial flash reading. Factory activity has remained above 50 points for four straight months. Japanese companies have been boosted by strong global demand, but a fresh extension of coronavirus emergency measures in Tokyo is raising concerns about the state of the recovery. Let's take a look at some of the market action and in particular across in Asia, we've got a bit of a, a patchy old trade playing out. Uh, don't forget these markets are looking for some fresh cues from Wall Street later on today. Uh, the market shut for Memorial Day and uh, we wrapped up the Friday trade with uh, again another indicator suggesting that short term at least inflation is showing some pricing pressures. Uh, the markets in Asia, the Japanese stock market trading down 35 points. That is a slight drift of about a tenth of a percent. More appetite again for the Hong Kong market, half of a percent in the green. On the back of the data points we're just talking about, to that factory activity number expanding at the fastest pace in May, you've got uh, Chinese stocks just reversing a tad. Also, uh, the tone very similar to Japanese stocks along with Australia. So, in lockstep, you can see mostly a weaker trade. Uh, the Asian uh, markets are also uh, picking up on a little bit of dollar weakness. Uh, this is how it looks on foreign exchange markets. Some zagginess in that trade as we continue to see uh, this economic recovery take hold globally. Sterling trade 
trades a little firmer this morning and you can see perched above that 142 mark that is a, a decent bounce we've seen lately about a tenth of a percent plus 142.32 in morning trade uh, euro has uh, just drifted off a little bit morning session but is uh, still firm 122 the handle dollar yen trades around 109 and a half and of course we've been watching what's been playing out there with the currency versus the yuan there's a steady level currently 6.37 this is a retreat after the highs we saw yesterday as uh, the monetary authority tightened banks foreign exchange requirements to stem the, the rise in the currency that we've witnessed lately one of the other big trades we're watching closely oil and any ramifications on the back of an opec meeting this as investors wait to see whether we continue to see this easing and some of the supply restrictions gradual pace very much uh, according to script is what is expected but still any change to the demand outlook uh, closely watched and you can see there's a bit in the market for oil also stronger trades on gold a lot of money has been placed back on this uh, gold bet of late rising around eight percent so far over the course of the month is what we witnessed and uh, around a five-month peak is where we now trade around the 1910 level u.s futures we're going to get a lot of cues from wall street later on today and you can see early on we are trading uh, slightly firmer across on the market indices the uh, dow chasing at this stage uh double digits you can see 30 the trade and about 11 on the nasdaq at this point uh, more data coming up later in the week on friday in the form of non-farm payrolls that will be closely watched too the opening calls we had a bank holiday here in the uk as well uh, coinciding with a uh, holiday in the united states so we're looking for the reopening of uh, uk stocks today to see how they play and uh, what we've got across the rest of the market still chasing some fairly strong signals this morning for german stocks the french market and also for italy jeff terrific karen uh, welcome back Thank good you. to nice see to you see. um i hope you had a good extended break it was lovely glorious weather we don't often say that do we i know it makes a change now, a lot, the last time we had these temperatures i think it was March. Right. March. So we've had to wait a little while for this. A handle above 20. Kind of unheard of. No, very nice. Very nice. Well, let's see how hot it's going to get for the markets. German inflation rose by 2.4% in May, hitting its highest level in more than two years and once again exceeding the ECB's target. Authorities pinning the rise on surging energy prices, while the gradual reopening of the economy has also spurred demand for goods and services, particularly in travel and leisure. Germany's inflation reading adds to similar price rises reported in Spain and Italy on Monday and will pile more pressure on the ECB to tighten COVID stimulus measures when it meets next week. Uh, we're pleased to have with us uh, Beat Wittmann, chairman and partner at Porter Advisors. Beat, good to see you this morning. Does this inflation data have any impact on how you feel about investing in European or German assets today? Uh, not really. I mean, we are on uh, structural levels after uh, a decade of uh, of deflation and i think any um, higher uh, interest rates and inflation rates in the zone where we are are to be welcomed basically as a reflection of the normalization of uh, of economic activity so i think it's uh, at this stage quite uh, quite positive and uh, i very much think that uh, inflation in that sense is really of transitory nature and not of structural nature interesting so you've already thrown your hat into the ring here so even as we see american markets fixate about the prospects of a taper 
of uh, bond purchasing in the United States. You don't think we need to be concerned at all about the ECB and whether the ECB needs to start having conversations about conversations about adjusting its monetary position? No, I would clearly not expect that. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Europe is traditionally lagging in terms of economic uh, stimulus and um, and performance uh, relative to the U.S. So that's very clear that the discussion in the U.S. is uh, stronger in that sense. And second, I think that uh, the Europeans learned a very uh, painful lesson in the aftermath of the 2008 crisis when, we, uh, when they really um, uh, came prematurely uh, back uh, to restrict uh, and that of course, also triggered then the European sovereign debt crisis in 2011. Um, so nobody's going to make that mistake again. And quite frankly, there is absolutely no need here. The recovery fund is um, is getting started only. Um, and uh, we want to see firm effects of uh, stable demand, post-pandemic situation uh, and labor markets normalizing. So nothing to expect from central banks. I think that news flow, of course, is always much faster than the economic realities on the ground. And this time, policymakers will really focus on labor markets, final demand and investment. Biet, uh, we have been turning the viewers' attention to politics in Europe uh, right through this crisis, but also ahead of German elections later on this year. You're looking at some of the same factors and you're fairly upbeat about how this may play out across the block. And two of the main players are from France to Germany. Just walk us through what investors can expect. Well, investors got it badly wrong since the beginning of the year uh, concerning European equities. Um, which performed very well and which I expect to uh, continue to perform very well and outperforming U.S. Uh, markets uh, for the remainder of this year um, because people focused, of course, on, on uh, loud and bad news flow, quite frankly, uh, due to the rollout of vaccinations uh, in Europe and, of course, the stop and go with policy making and lots of question marks about uh, certain elections. I think we have all good news. Uh, Italy has a really stable, competent uh, uh, government in place with Mario Draghi, no doubt. Um, in Spain, recent elections uh, in Madrid, very encouraging. Um, and then I'm very positive for uh, German elections. I think in, in one way, uh, in one combination or the other, a green-black or a conservative Green Party coalition will, uh, will get into government, which is very pro-European, of course. Um, and um, and is uh, also supportive for uh, economic growth in an international context. And then, of course, French elections um, uh, early next year or spring next year, and they will also feed off uh, of that trend. So I think improvement in politics, improvement in the rollout of the uh, of the recovery fund. And then uh, last but not least, uh, you look at the recent polls about confidence into the euro uh, uh, currency uh, at peak levels, basically, in terms of acceptance across the eurozone, which is also uh, very positive. So I think Europe has been lagging and slow. That's a bit structural, um, but uh, it's very sensitive to international investors and exports and exports are picking up big time politics, recovery fund being implemented the next few months, 
and the international investors have to catch up with adequate exposure. So I'm very positive, particularly on Germany. Beat, uh, let's talk about the prospects then of Germany. As I take a look at the DAX, it's climbed very aggressively since its low last year, about 7,000-odd points uh, towards a record high. Are you suggesting buying the DAX even at these levels, or are you saying being more tactical around sectors and stocks in the German market? I would, I would buy your uh, European equities today, uh, including the DAX, of course, because, again, I think fundamentals are, are, are very positive. Um, next six to 12 months um, and supported uh, by politics, corporate earnings. Um, and again, international investors have missed out and they are catching up here. I think it's excellent value in terms of growth prospects and, um, and valuations. And I would focus on those facts and figures and not so much on the news flow related to, uh, to politics. Beat, always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Beat Wittmann, Chairman and Partner of Porter Advisors. For many in the United States, Memorial Day celebrations mark the beginning of the summer season. More than half of all American adults are now vaccinated, and many took the opportunity to travel and attend sports events over the three-day weekend. NBC's Blaine Alexander filed this report. They are the welcome scenes we haven't seen in more than a year. Millions flooding airports around the country, from Chicago to Miami, Newark to Vegas. I forgot to take my belt off and take my phone out of security because I hadn't done it in so long. You were so, a little out of yeah. practice. Yeah. Over the weekend, TSA set a new pandemic record, nearly two million passengers in a single day. In all, processing more than six times the travelers of Memorial Day 2020. I think everybody's just happy to be moving again a little bit, although still being careful, so it's been nice. Crowds flocking to sunny beaches down south. Around many of the nation's national parks, most hotel rooms are fully booked through Labor Day. I think with COVID, you kind of just needed an escape, and it was an escape that was safe. And Hawaii, once home of some of the strongest COVID restrictions, now once again filled with tourists. But it wasn't a warm welcome everywhere. Along the Jersey Shore, businesses and beaches forced to close. From a rained out Times Square to the wind-whipped Midwest, nasty weather put a damper on many holiday plans. But even with Americans getting out and about, a word of caution from Dr. Anthony Fauci in a new interview with The Guardian warning Americans against declaring victory prematurely, noting we still have a ways to go. And with more than 40 percent of the country fully vaccinated, a new Washington Post analysis is revealing troubling data about those who are not, noting that among unvaccinated people, the death rate is roughly the same as it was two months ago and is barely inching down. My takeaway is that if you're not vaccinated, at some point you will get infected. That's really how to look at this analysis. Uh, let's take the break. We'll be back in just a moment. G7 finance ministers edge towards a global tax deal. But one minister, namely from Japan, says not to expect a specific number at this week's meeting in London. We'll talk some more about this when we come back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
The OECD forecasts global GDP will rise by 5.8% this year, with most of the world back to pre-pandemic levels by the end of 2022. But the Paris-based body warns the recovery is very uneven and significant uncertainty around the evolution of the virus remains. Our colleague Germano spoke with the OECD's chief economist, Laurence Boone, to see what the path to normalcy will look like. What we are seeing now as, as there's a, the big reopening, you know, the production machine is opening up, uh, everyone's trying to consume. So that's, that's creating a lot of tension with a surge in demand and the supply capacity, even if it's been well protected, still being impaired or constrained in some distances. So we're, we're seeing these disruptions and it's creating, it's contributing to, to price pressure. It will take probably, um, you know, today it's good, tomorrow it will be services. It will take at least um, probably until the end of the year before things get uh, a little more normal. Well, almost a year after it was first drafted, the EU is set to launch its 750 billion euro recovery plan this month. Under the plan, officially titled Next Generation EU, member states will pool debt, reduce borrow, reducing borrowing costs for weaker economies. The launch comes after the Austrian and Polish governments were the last to approve the common debt mechanism on Thursday. Japan's finance minister Taro Aso has hinted the G7 is nearing a global minimum tax agreement but says ministers will not debate specific numbers when they meet in London this week. According to a draft communique which has been seen by Reuters, G7 finance ministers will pledge to agree on a global minimum tax by July. The Biden administration has said it could support a 15% minimum rate. The proposal has been welcomed by most members, although the UK has so far refused to give its full backing. Um, and it will be interesting. I think we've already talked a little bit about this uh, around the desk when mm. it was first flagged up as to all the challenges around setting a rate that everybody is going to be prepared to implement. And given that the tax systems uh, vary in the number of exemptions that corporations are allowed to claim, the benefits they get may be from making R&D as a way of getting uh, a reduction in headline corporation tax. That's where I think the challenges are going to be here, because you can come up with a number and you can come up with a tax treaty. But if it is not going to be enforced by relevant uh, tax authorities internationally, then what value ultimately? It, it becomes a, a symbolic exercise in paper shuffling. Well, we nearly got stuck in the mud on some of the detail here when we last discussed it around the set, but that's what tax law is effectively. As you point out, so many exemptions and loopholes and also minimums and minimums around the amount of tax you pay if you earn a, a certain amount before a higher rate kicks in. You know, thresholds is common language when we talk about taxation. But what's trying to be tackled here is a minimum. They, they want to get to a level where countries and big corporations effectively in those countries pay a certain minimum. And we're effectively talking about the 100 biggest corporations in the world. And I think most people want to see those companies pay an adequate amount of tax. The problems start to rise, though, that when you talk about motivations, for the Irish perspective, it's been somewhat of a tax haven for some of the large companies. It's derived a value on the back of that. Just reading that for the likes of Germany, Japan, there could be stumbling blocks 
because uh, they rely on uh, heavy exports for heavy manufacturing industries. There might be a problem there. If you look at the UK, I mean, uh, effectively uh, the host country for this uh, event in Cornwall, there's an element of surprise as to whether the, the whether the UK will even sign up for this as well. So I think there's a significant suspense around this event, but the motivation ultimately has to be for some evenness in the taxation, surely, given these huge bills that countries are saddled with on the back of the pandemic. Uh, the one money tree that seems to be out there is corporations that have quickly been able to pay dividends and uh, reinstate share buybacks. Surely that has to be the place that governments go after, not consumers that we know have been hit very unevenly across in this pandemic. Yeah, the other thing is where we go with the tech companies specifically here, because mm. we know uh, the United States has been resistant to the idea of an international tax on transactions uh, based on uh, their geographical location. And companies like Amazon have been very adept at uh, relocating the location of that purchase to Luxembourg uh, in the European context to thereby reduce any tax it has to pay. In fact, I think it's it's tax on those transactions uh, in Europe is very low, almost non-existent in, in some situations. The question in my mind, is the United States going to seek exemptions to the taxation on some of those uh, tech businesses and the transactions they make or that are made by consumers? Or will they also be thrown into the basket and this will be a flat 15% or 17% or whatever the number turns out to be here because that would be perceived to be disproportionately impacting many of those tech businesses that have used transfer pricing and profit shifting and other techniques which are perfectly legitimate under current laws to reduce the amount of tax they pay. Yes, legally correct, but is it morally correct at this point in time? And I think this is a one-time chance for the Europeans to go after that digital tax that they've long sought. I mean, most of them already have their own individual digital taxes in place, and some of them have had to have a pause button applied with various geopolitical events that have happened at you know, under President Trump mainly, that's been one of the, the hot air moments where you've seen the pressure from the Americans around tit-for-tat tariffs because of these digital taxes. But, you know, as we talk about motivation, I don't think everybody likes the number that's been you know, touted, a 15% number that may or may not suit various different countries. It's better than a 20-plus percent number for some Europeans. And if you think about the background to this, we're not just talking about the individual governments now in charge of some of these countries. There may be other governments down the track. So you've got to come up with a number that countries can live with in Europe, because otherwise, what do you end up with? A situation like in the United States, where you get a government that doesn't like a policy and then rips the country out of an agreement, like we saw with climate change, the Paris Agreement. You want countries, if they sign up to this, to stay invested for the long term. That means uh, getting something that this government and perhaps future governments will also agree to across so many different nations. It's, it's a mammoth task. Um, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. 15% is a minimum at the moment that they're talking about. Mm. So let's um, j just face the fact that this is a minimum and this is not a set level. Obviously, um, there, could, there could actually be gradients if they think more creatively about this or a ladder to higher rates depending on um, perhaps the size of the business and the amount of revenue that's um, actually done here. Just one final point here. We're, we're sort of rushing headlong into this idea that this is a good idea mm. to have a global minimum taxation that applies in every jurisdiction. There are still some issues for me as to what the purpose of tax is anyway when it comes to um, 
enforcing fiscal discipline mm. on countries and governments. The idea of tax well, arbitrage... The at the moment? Well, <laughs> We're talking about huge infrastructure packages. Where's that discipline? No, value for money, mm-hmm. I think, is my issue. Right. You know, we all pay tax. We accept that we pay tax because that benefits us. It is part of the common good. It provides the infrastructure, the roads, the health system, and so on and so forth. There is a value in paying that tax. And we've decided, obviously, that in um, some situations, those who make more money should pay more tax. This is a progressive tax system. When it comes to how governments levy that tax, there should also surely be an onus on those governments to demonstrate value for money and that they actually are not wasting that cash because it's easily come by. And that's just what I think tax arbitrage historically has done. It has forced spendthrift governments to recognise that things can be done better when they look at neighbours or other countries internationally that are growing strongly, that have good services, good infrastructure, generally good health systems, and yet do this Uh, in a more efficient and a more cost-effective way. And that tax arbitrage can sometimes enforce discipline on authorities to work harder for us, the hard-pressed consumer and taxpayer. I don't disagree with you. I wonder whether it's happening anyway because the list has grown ever longer, hasn't it, around the health system requiring adequate funding on the back of the pandemic, this huge infrastructure plan to try and rebuild better across various nations, military spending with a lot of geopolitical events. I mean, the laundry list of spending is enormous at this point. So I wonder whether the discipline's there naturally because the the pool of cash, while it might be uh, growing if uh, corporation tax comes through, you've got to say that list is also growing at the same point, needing attention. Uh, let's push on and take a look at some of the big uh, corporate stories for you. Atlantia shareholders have backed a sale of its Autostrada unit to a consortium led by Italian state lender CDP in a deal worth over 9 billion euros. The motorway unit has been at the heart of a bidding war with Spain's ACS submitting a bid a month ago. The CDP proposal backed by the Italian government was approved by nearly 87% of shareholders. The sale brings an end to a dispute brought out or brought on by the 2018 Genoa Bridge Collapse, a road that was operated by Autostrada. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.